What's going on, y'all? Welcome to episode 47 of the Half Price Concessions Podcast. This week, we bring back former guest Keith Montgomery of Montgomery Performance Consulting to have another conversation with us. Before we get to Keith again, I want to say a big thank you to everybody and anybody who has supported our podcast, whether you're listening on a podcast app, on our YouTube page, on our website. We sincerely appreciate you doing that and want to give a special thank you as well to our partners who have helped make this podcast possible in 2020. Our friends from Performance Center Racing Warehouse in Statesville, North Carolina, Mr. Roger Johnson and all the fine folks there, thank you to them for their support, as well as our friends at North Carolina Call 811 Before You Dig. North Carolina 811 Dig. Make sure you call 811 before you do any kind of digging in the state of North Carolina. We sincerely appreciate their support. This conversation with Keith is a little bit different. When we had him back on in December, we laid out a little bit about uh, Keith's record as a race car driver coming up through the late model ranks and where he got to as a driver and then where he got to professionally working for Ganassi and our hard technologies and all that. This is a conversation where, quite honestly, I just pick Keith's brain a lot. Conversations I've had about the pull-down services that he offers through his company, Montgomery Performance Consulting. Uh, some of the questions I had about what what makes a car a race car bind. Uh, what different things is he looking at trying to help race car drivers go faster we even get into some nascar discussion dirt late models asphalt late models dirt modifieds we cover a lot of different ground but this is just a real cool conversation i really enjoyed it and really want to thank keith for taking the time to sit on his front porch and turn the microphones on and uh, just answer a lot of questions because man i gotta tell you i had a lot of uh, a lot of questions and whatnot but it's just such fascinating stuff to learn. So let's get some business taken care of. On the other side of this break, we sit down with Keith Montgomery of Montgomery Performance Consulting. That's coming up on the other side of these messages. Planning on doing some digging in your yard? Your simple backyard project could quickly turn dangerous. Buried underground cables and lines are just inches below the surface. So don't forget to make one very important call to 811. Calling 811 is the first step in having your buried utilities marked so you know where it is safe to dig. 811 is free, it's fast, and it's the law. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. This episode of the Half Price Concessions podcast is brought to you with support from Performance Center Racing Warehouse. In addition to being the home of the PRW chassis, Performance Center offers in-house setups and consulting plus suspension and chassis pull-down analysis, along with their fabrication shop that can reclip your race car with the fastest turnaround in the industry. Give Roger Johnson and the Performance Center team the chance to earn your racing business by calling them today at 704-838-1400 or visit them online at performancecenter.com. That's P-E-R-F-O-R-M-A-N-C-E-N-T-E-R.com. Keith Montgomery, I'm Montgomery Performance Consultants, and I got to be honest, Keith, we're out here to see you, and it's hard to really even think about race cars. I, I can I can see what the benefit of where you're at now, because like we're out here just enjoying the, the foliage, just turning colors and all this stuff, and now I got to get my mind on asking you racing questions. So I hope you don't mind my ADD brain. It might it might take me a while to get warmed up, but yeah, second time we've had you on. And a lot has changed since last December. So before we get into nuts and bolts of race cars and consulting and dynamics and all that fun stuff, the most important thing, how are, how are things for you, sir? Awesome. It couldn't really be any better. Um, Tyler, we, Susie and I got married October 10th, which, which you know, uh, you, you came and joined us and celebrated. Uh, it was an awesome day, perfect. You know, it, it rained a little early on. But uh, during the ceremony and the pictures and whatnot, it, it didn't rain, so that was perfect. Um, you know, that's just honeymoon was awesome. Um, you know, things are just good. Yeah. Staying busy. Um, COVID has affected the business, and it's not, I'm not as busy as I could be or I was last year. Um, but still getting calls, still going doing stuff. Just 
uh, did a data test today at Ace Speedway. So, yeah, things are good. Things are real good. Thank you for asking. Yeah, I know since last time we talked, you had actually done a uh, a seminar with, I think, uh, I think it was you and Mason Hudson had done kind of a group effort thing with some guys. How did that, uh, how did that go? Did you get some good turnout? We did. It was probably, it was either 16 or 18 uh, participants. And uh, some of the guys wanted some of the services. And they, uh, you know, during the seminar, it, it's interesting, and you probably know this better than most. During a seminar, most people don't ask questions. They're kind of leery of asking questions. And I'm only assuming here, but I'm assuming that they, they don't want to sound stupid in front of their peers. Yeah. You know, so it's like they're not going to raise their hand and ask a question. But things went well. We had, I had lots of people come over afterwards and ask questions. Um, had a guest speaker there, Vince Verliano, uh, awesome shot guy, one of my good friends. Uh, still works at the cup level, and he came and guest spoke. I had John Kinder, who's a good friend of mine, um, super, super body hanger. I mean, he's sought after. He's, I think he's at Stuart Haas now. Um, he's improved everybody's aero program he's been with, and he's just awesome body hanger. Had him come to kind of share some of his insight with the guys about, you know, be particular when you're hanging your body and, and look for a little avenues um you know in talking about cg matters and just racing 101 stuff and so it was good we had a i felt like it was a good turnout that's awesome that's awesome i agree with the question asking thing because that's probably what held me back in middle school and high school because i was trying to you're trying to be cool and impress girls and you don't want to be the doofus that asks a dumb question like you know do i have my brake calibers on upside down or, or i don't know what but then I figured afterwards, yeah, you get a lot of those private questions and stuff. But it's just so it's is is it am I dumb in thinking that it is just so much to learn that you're never going to know absolutely everything? Like I I look at this the stuff you do, like uh, uh, the Gales do with the shocks and things like that, and I'm just like, how can no one brain could handle all this? You know, like, am I am, am I am I slow or what? No, <laughs> uh, and evidence of it at, at the cup level became specialized because you know years ago, four or five guys did about everything, and then it became specialized because you you wanted people that really understood that aspect of it, and so they they focused on people specializing, and you know, fortunately for me, at the cup level when I started doing testing stuff, teams had guys that they would send to the Kinematics Compliance testing. And then they had a separate guy that they would send to the seven post test. And they had a separate guy they would send to do the pull down stuff. And then they had a different guy that would go do the track testing. Lucky for me, when we were developing the bump stops and doing this, I call it the car of crap, but they call it the car yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, C-O-T. When we were developing the car tomorrow, I got to participate with all the kinematics compliance testing, all the seven post testing, all the pull down testing, uh, all the track testing. And when we went to the proving ground, which is a five mile oval for aero stuff, I participated with that. So I was very fortunate to participate in all those things. The only testing I didn't do was the wind tunnel. Yeah. And honestly, I just didn't have any interest in it. It just I'm very surprised because you're you're you seem like a such a just naturally genuine uh, like a, a naturally curious person. I'm very surprised that you didn't have any interest in that. I didn't. <laughs> the one, the one thing that I did have interest in was Montoya was driving for Ganassi and I was working at Ganassi and Brian Patty was his crew chief and you know we're all friends and Montoya bounced off the wall coming out of the turn and you know, of course the cars the handling changed. And he's on the radio raising cane at Patty about the car. And Patty said, well, you're the last one to adjust on it. Stop adjusting on it, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Montoya, I have not adjusted the car. You shut up, Patty. Yeah. And, and so P Patty takes Montoya to the wind tunnel. They blow the car. And he kicks the side of the car. And they blow it again. He goes, see? You, know, you really did adjust you, it. You adjusted on the car. Stop hitting the freaking fence, dude. So... <laughs> I, but other than that, I really had no interest in, in wind tunnel stuff. Um, I, I knew the importance of it at that level, but I was more interested in, in the chassis and the handling. 
So it may have limited me some a little bit. I, I understood how the arrow and the chassis could work hand in hand or they could work against each other. Um, so I, I did learn those things, but as far as how to hang the body to achieve maximum downforce, yeah, I didn't have an interest in that because I can't fabricate. Truth yeah. is, I can't even draw a stick, man. I messed that up. So if you see me with a pair of snips, tackle me because I'm fixing to butcher something. Yeah, it's going to it's gonna look like the Griswolds tried to hang a body on a race car. It's going to look like a beaver <laughs> chew through it if I get a hold of it. There you go. <laughs> yes, I, I stay in my lane. There you go. That's a, that's a smart man. Uh, before we get too far down the road, I did want to put out there something that you had put out on your Facebook because for the time that I've known you, you with your data acquisition and Montgomery Performance Consulting, where you have been going to the track helping guys and then you know, going to their shops, now you have decided to open up a different avenue that can also uh, offer a little more affordable option on that. So uh, I want to give you the floor a little bit and, and let you kind of spout on that. Where, where did that come about? Um, well, actually, after Susie and I got married, you know, we had been talking about it and the shop is out the back and you know we've got it sorted so you can drive around and and come around and i was like you know i should offer um a cheaper version of pull downs and if people can come to me then obviously i can i can do it cheaper because i'm not loading up that fifty thousand dollars worth of equipment and dragging it all over the country um you know they're the one that's that's making the effort so i want it all came about because the whole premise of my deal is I want to help these guys because like it or not, we're in an era where technology means better performance. It's not going away. It isn't going away and it's, it isn't getting any cheaper. And so I was like, you know what? My whole premise has been bringing the cup technology to the short track level and find a way to make it affordable so everybody has access to it. And because not everybody got to go to the Kinemax compliance rig or the seven post and do those things to understand their vehicles and what they're doing dynamically. You know, not a lot of guys know that. So I thought, well, what I do is expensive. But at the end of the day, when you when you understand what your car's doing and you go to the racetrack and you don't have anything binding up in the front end and your bump stops are timed correctly and your geometry is where it needs to be, and your rear end is located like it should be, and your loads are where they're supposed to be, you're gonna go faster and you're gonna have more fun. And so I like, you know what? I need to figure out an avenue to offer services cheaper. And so if a guy wants to come to me, um, it's a $250 deposit to book the time, and it's a non-refundable deposit. And once we get the car hooked up, it's you know no charge. Once we start pulling, the clock starts, and it's 250 an hour. So a guy could, you know, and if let's have a comparison. So if I, I bring it to Tyler Williams' shop, you want me to bring my pull-down rig to you, it's going to be about $2,000 plus travel expenses. And if you're 400 miles away, I charge the government rate. It's $0.57 cent a mile. Yeah. So it's to and from. So you're looking, you, by the time it's said and done, you're at 2800 bucks. But it's a really good investment. Yeah. B but not every guy can afford $2,800. So if a guy can come to me and get his car pulled down and be somewhere between $750 and $1,000, he can spend three hours on a pull-down rig and get some really good information. Find out, one, if he's got binds, because that's not something you're going to find at the racetrack. You, I'm sorry, you just you can't find binds at the racetrack. Um, you're not going to find them in the shop just picking the suspension up because it needs load to be able to produce the bind. Um, alignment stuff, you can you can kind of press the front end down and put a camera gauge on it, um, but you can't see the toe, what the bump's doing. Um, you can't see what the loads are, and the loads are crucial. They're very important. So I wanted a cheaper option for guys to to choose from. and. So I feel like if they come here, they're still going to get the same special data and, and awesome information. It's just, it's cheaper for them. Yeah. And now you can, uh, whenever you get done, you don't have to load the trailer up and drive back to, you know, 
however far you had to travel and now you can just walk back in the house kick your shoes off and hey honey i'm home exactly <laughs> yeah oh yeah well it's better for everybody right well last year um you know i did some stuff in michigan uh went to west virginia i uh, went to kentucky um florida uh, wisconsin so it's not just people from a speedway or people from south boston calling and going hey i, I like my car pulled down or and hey, can you come do a data test? Um, it's guys all across the country, and you know it. it I've kind of tailored my deal to help those people, but I also want to help the guys in my backyard have an affordable option, so they're they're getting enjoyment out of racing. And you know, if if a guy's within 150 miles of here, it just makes sense to come here. Yeah. And, and get his car pulled down for 750 bucks or, or a thousand bucks instead of paying me, you know, 2,500, 2,800 bucks to come to him. Yeah. Be honest. If, if a driver has his car on your pull down for longer than four hours, I mean, how far off is that guy? <laughs> well, I feel like I feel like it's kind of like a doctor's office. The longer you're there, usually the worse off we are. That's, that's trouble. <laughs> well, that's so that can be misleading um sometimes guys have a, a test plan a matrix of things they want to run through or they'll call me and say hey look i need to understand what's going on i want to change things and i want to understand what they're doing when i'm on the racetrack so when i'm faced with a scenario at the racetrack i'll know which way to adjust and how to go about doing it so some of the some of the guys actually spend several hours on it but they're they're developing a playbook, uh, a notebook to have at the racetrack. So, if I'm faced with this scenario, I know what to do instead of I'm instead of guessing. Okay. Because I I don't want to just throw a spring at it and hope you know, okay boy go get them, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So that's some of what's going on when guys spend more than three or four hours on there. But dude, within two to three hours, we can find binds and alignment and loads and get you scienced out to where. You've got a fundamentally sound race car, and you've got something to fight for the win with. What I'm thinking, just in my dumb, dumb brain, the only thing I could even think of offhand was, like, guys wanting to play with shocks and springs. Because just from from me not knowing much of anything, looking at the car, it seems like a lot of it is, like, they want to get a certain feel for how the car, when they set it in the corner and things like that. But, I mean, is it – does it – even go to like stuff like the track bar and, and how you play with the weight and the frame rails. Like, is it even on that? The track bar is not really very, so because there's no lateral load by the pull down, it's just vertical. Okay. So there's not really much advantage to playing with a track bar. Um, you can, and it'll show you the difference in the, in the rear end a tiny bit, but it won't show the full magnitude of it because it's, there's no lateral force to, to, to generate that load. Um, so typically guys look for binds, they look for uh, bump stop loads, they look for wheel loads, and they look for alignment. You know, their front end, their toe, their bump, what's going on there. Um, I'm, I'm going to stop you real quick. I need you to spell one out for me. When okay. you say bind, when I think bind, because I'm not very smart, I think of, great, the power bill, the water bill, and the house payment are all due at once, and I don't get paid till Friday. I'm in a bind. Right. When you say a bind in a race car, give me give me a garden variety. What, what in God's name does that mean? Okay, so if you over-travel the right front, and that ball joint is, like it has a range of motion, and you travel it so much that it runs out of its range of motion. That's a bind. Okay. Um, if you have a sway bar that is preloaded a bunch and in a bind um, by the arm angles, okay. you know, if you've got, if you, tr when you travel it, if you don't have the alignment correctly, the hymns can get in a bind and cause load. And that, what I mean by that is they'll touch either the lower mount or the upper mount and just swedge into it. Instead of you know being able free free roll to have that in the hinds, so that's that's what we're talking about. When we're talking about binds. And when you say alignment, again, my dumb dumb knowledge. I'm thinking about when I go and go to the tire center for my F-150, and I'm just trying to make sure the tires are all pointed straight so that I don't I don't get uneven tire wear. 
when you're talking about on a race car, like, is it, are, are we talking the same thing as far as wear, or is that really playing with how the car is going to handle uh, based on like how much tire is actually touching the track? It's, it's going to affect the handling of the car. Some guys want their rear end out to the right. Some guys want their rear end uh, into the, into, inside the right front. Some want their rear end rolled back. Uh, I don't know many that want theirs rolled forward, but some do. Uh, it can show different things like cambers in the front end. And, you know, with the bump and the toe, you want to make sure those aren't. So a lot of people like checking the bump the old-fashioned way where there's no spring and shock and you just, you know, raise the wheel up and it does this number. Um, and that's because of the, the tie rod where it attaches to the spindle and the center link. So you can move that angle and change the way that thing toes in or out. Okay. At, which is bump. So, um, but this machine, it checks the bump loaded with tire squish. And it's how you run it on the racetrack. So I've I've set guys bump that way, and that's been the only thing that we've changed on a race car. And they go to the track, and they're like, "Yeah, man, I feel the difference. I, I like it. That's the the piece of the puzzle I was missing." Yeah. Um. So alignment's really important, but it's. I mean, customers will have an idea. Some of them will have an idea how they want their car aligned. Others come to me and say, look, dude, I don't know where it needs to be. Just make this thing turn. You, yeah, yeah, just, <laughs> I want to go that way. And so they'll say, look, you do whatever you want to, and, and I trust you. I'm like, well, all right, then. <laughs> I'm about to say, it, I, feel like, I feel like for your end, it's got to be somebody that actually knows what in God's name they want. Because it seems like it, it you know. There's, I know there's some guys that just go out there and I'm like, all right, they're, they're just like, all right, I'm going to go there and turn left twice and then we're going to get back on the throttle. But, I mean, and it seems like so much more of an old school thing. Like, I remember, like, I say remember like it's back in the day. Like, Mark Martin has his podcast and he talks about doing all this work just to get a feel. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's hard for me to understand that because I've only driven a four-cylinder twice. So, I mean... You do you do you notice a little? Is it a little easier path when it's someone that actually knows what they want to feel as opposed to just wanting to feel faster or be on the front stretch after the race and get interviewed? If if you're doing a data test with a guy, and let's I'll give you a, an example. So Peyton Sellers, awesome race car driver, understands what's going on with the front and back of that car, knows what he needs to feel in order to make speed. And then you work with a 15-year-old kid that he just wants to go fast. He has no idea what he's it's supposed to feel like. It could feel like death, but he don't care. He don't know. He ain't hit the wall. So he's just like, well, make it go fast. Drivers like Carl Long, you know, I've told people hundreds of times he's the most underrated guy I've ever worked with. And, you know, they call the push-to-talk button the two-tenths button because you slow yeah. down two-tenths when you talk. Carl ran like three laps at Bristol, never slowed down, had the mic keyed the whole time, dissecting the car and telling me, all right, right here, it lands, then, you know, it, it starts cutting and it tightens up a little bit when I accelerate, you know, it, it snaps out. And da -da. He dissected the track and the car, well, it was a truck, for three laps and never, you know, his lap times were within hundreds. Wow. So really talented drivers that understand the feel of the car. They understand if, if something's going on in the front end or something's going on in the back end and where they need work. They don't necessarily have to know what they need changed to get that feel, but they know, okay, the front end's working, the back end's out of the track. So it makes my job easier uh, to, to know which end I need to start with. So it, because you have ideas of, you, well, if you've raced, you know what changes to do to the car in the back and the front. So you, it, like I said, it just makes life easier to work with a guy that has a good feel. Yeah. But not everybody has that. <laughs> I, I think some of that you have to, I think you can learn a lot of that, but I think most of it you have to be born with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I, I bet if I went and talked to, you know, a Todd Massey or a bunch of these guys, they've got some knowledge, but a lot of what they know is, 
between the ears and just based on their they they just have a natural ability i feel like like you couldn't write it on paper no a guy like like you say todd massey dude was real aggressive in a race car and he just he was a beast man he had a feel and if you gave him that feel whoo wee son he smoke them up I mean, yeah. he'd make them look bad um but it's interesting you say that because he knew what he needed to go fast and todd's he's pretty um pretty switched on with cars he understands like if there are drivers you talk to that know what the feel they need but they don't have a clue what to do to, to how to achieve it, it yeah. yeah todd understands how to achieve it he's a chassis guy he gets it he understands well you know throw some more right rear spring to it and you know and, and tighten up the bar on a on a sway bar so he knows he gets it so he's he's really dangerous in a race car because he understands how to get what he needs a lot of guys don't don't have that they may be able to make speed and know what the car you know what i need to go fast but they don't know what the car needs yeah i think another thing that has to be a pivotal part of people getting a race car pulled down like i don't know why this just popped in my head but i feel like it has to be a requirement that you have the driver with you because i feel like if if somebody came to you or had you come over or whatever and do it do the pull down with even if you had the crew chief or whoever it is that has a hand in setting it up i feel like for your deal it's got to be way more beneficial to actually have the the guys sitting in the seat there to actually give some feedback i feel like that is like a basic requirement they they've got to do that to get their money's worth yeah so interesting you brought that up um i went to florida a couple of years ago and, and pulled down a modified and we were at a gosh i hate to butcher the name of the racetrack and we were actually in the tech shed pulling this modified down and the owner of the track comes over and he goes hey he said uh stewart's sprint cars are coming over here in a little while to run some laps so i've got the track prepped so if you guys want to go out and validate what you've done here, you're welcome to. And we was like, yeah. So Tony Stewart's got Donnie Shantz, and I can't remember who the other driver was, brought their sprint cars, and they were doing laps. So uh, we had Hunt go out and make some laps. And he goes out after we've done the pull down, because they call me and they go, look, we're off. We're way out in left field, dude. We need, come on. He goes out and runs two laps and brings it in. And I'm sitting there going, oh, Lord, what's wrong? Yeah. <laughs> he didn't run but two laps. He drops the window. He said, that's awesome, dude. Woo -wee. <laughs> I was like, well, thank you, bud. Heck yeah. And so I thought about that. I was like, well, okay, that's good. So I got a call from a customer that wants to, a dirt guy, wants his stuff pulled down next week, wants, wants uh, myself and, and four boys racing, Barry Eller, those guys, to look, look over the setup and then pull it down. And what I talked to him about was I said, you know the the crew chief i was like look you and the driver come you know if dad can come great he's welcome in the shop no worries but you need to be here because there are things that we're going to find and things we're going to show you we want you to see and we want the driver to see because if he understands his car he's going it's going to make him a better driver down the road yeah so it's it's cool you you, you brought that up yeah i feel like you're like a doctor yeah like my race car's sick. I need to call Keith. <laughs> Does anybody ever call you when like things are going good and they just want to check up? <laughs> I do have a customer too that calls and says, "Hey man, how are things going?" and and just give me an update on um, the success they're having or the, you know, "Hey man, we won our heat and, and won our race," and um, that's cool when when you work with guys and they they run your decals because they want to and. Uh, you know and they tell people about you it's it's interesting because one of the guys that i helped in dirt uh told a gentleman to to call me and so i answer the phone and i swear tyler it sounded like a recording hey kenny it's kenny hey kenneth it's kenny wallace <laughs> and i'm sitting here thinking this is a recording i said well hey kenny he goes hey man uh hunt guzman said you i was like oh crap this is really kenny oh <laughs> so Kenny's calling me about his modified because one of my customers, he he raced against Kenny, and uh, Kenny's like, well, your car's pretty sporty, but I, I, mine's off a little. I need what you got. And he said, well, call this guy. Yeah. 
So some of my customers will do that. Some feel like they have an advantage and they don't want anybody else to know about it. So yeah. they're not going to share it. And I'm okay with that. It's, look, you're, it's, you're a racer. You understand that to some level. I, trust me, I get it. If you find an advantage, you ain't going to share it with anybody. Yeah. And I get that and I understand it. And to help guys appreciate what I do, I make sure they understand. I Look, when I leave, the paperwork is yours. My machine does not, rec it, I can, it's automated, so I can program it and it will run and bring it back up and it'll record the data. I don't ever manually, I always manually run it. I yeah. never program it because it, I, it, that way it won't store data. And I tell them before I leave, I'm like, look, if Bob gets your information, it didn't come from me, you got, you gave it to him because I don't have it. Yeah. I'm protecting, it's, it's your data, so I'm protecting your privacy. If it gets out, you put it out. I don't have it. So. Yeah. I reassure guys that way. So, because sometimes guys won't, they don't want to work with you because they feel like, well, he helps so many different people. He, you know, he's going to tell them what you're doing. Well, I don't have the data. You yeah. do. It's <laughs> so, all yours. Yeah. If it leaks to the media. Yeah, yeah you did it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's good to, good to know where the paper trail is. Yes, sir. Man, it's just, man, I'm just so fascinated by it. I mean, it just, you know, because all I see is the car going around in a circle. And then I see somebody speeding up and slowing down. You know, I just don't understand all that stuff. So it's a trip to me. Tell me about, does any of this stuff you do with like the A-Speedway guys or the South Boston guys, does any of this stuff carry over to the road course stuff? Because I feel like that's just a whole different animal when you go do the road course stuff. Well, yes and no. Um, road course stuff is a little bit different. Uh, driver has uh, a lot more ability to carry a car in, in that uh, where a round track guy if a car's off it's just it ain't a whole lot he can do um, so there is differences and I do have road course customers and I, I do pull down some guys and um, it's an interesting group yeah you know and like I mentioned Montoya earlier. I learned a lot from Montoya because that dude is just, oh, man, he's wicked in a road course. Yeah. I'll I put him against anybody. Um, he's a bad cat. And I, what I learned from him was you, you get the car symmetric and you get it balanced at the, at the highest speed corner of the racetrack and then hand it to him, he's going to do the rest. Yeah. And he's going to wear them out. <laughs> and, and usually he does. And it's a technique where he blips and downshifts. It's so smooth, it doesn't upset the car. And he, it's just like he's figured out early on. It's just like, you know, you mentioned Todd Massey. Dude figured out how to go fast. Uh, and Montoya figured out early on how to go fast in road course. And he just, he's a beast. So you take that and you, you apply it to these guys that I'm helping. And I basically figure out the loads at the high speed corner. We get the car symmetric as we can get it there, and then say, "Okay, bud, it's it's, it's up to you." Yeah. And and it's been fun. And some of those guys have had success and uh, gone fast. And um, you know, it's it's, it's interesting. It, I'll say that. And the dirt guys, that's been a lot of fun for me because it, there are so many moving parts in the back of that car that you have to be a rocket scientist to understand what's going on yeah. and you know it to see some of the things that the guys are doing you like good grief how does that work yeah. <laughs> you know but it's it's good because it's a challenge to me the the road course stuff is not necessarily a challenge because you know we've done it but the dirt stuff it's evolving and it's a challenge and I like that, and I I want to be challenged because I don't know these things. Some of the things that, like I mentioned, uh, Barry Eller and his boys, Mark and Luke and John, um, those guys have been a treat to work with, and they've helped me understand some things that I didn't know. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's been a good relationship. I've I've helped them understand a few things, and they've helped me understand a lot. And so it's I'm very fortunate that they they'll participate with me <laughs> I'll say that yeah does the does the weight 
play any into that catch-up? Because what I always think about is asphalt cars, especially late model stocks and, and, and on the way up to cup, they just seem like they're just very just – they're heavy cars. The weight's supposed to be a little more balanced, whereas dirt cars, I mean, I think a dirt late model weighs 2350 with the driver in it. I mean, so it, so it weighs less. It's it it seems like it's a little more left side happy. I mean, from your end, when you're learning all this stuff, how much how much is just the weight difference throwing a monkey wrench into your knowledge, your asphalt knowledge? Um, or is it more than that? It's more than that. Yeah. But understanding the weights, like those cars need specific percentages. Uh, the the dirt modifieds need a different percentage than the late models. The crate late model needs a different percentage than the built motors. Um, you know, it's understanding those things and learning them. It's neat. And early on, um, when we were learning more about dirt stuff, we did some data testing with Rudiman, who, who you got yeah. to got to meet. That was true. Uh, and so we did some data testing with him, and then we did some seven post testing, and we started really understanding. You know, you. It, balance and alignment is crucial for those cars and you know the driver and it, it kind of correlates to the road course stuff the driver can do things once you get the car aligned and balanced there are certain drivers that will just excel because they can do things in the car to to make a difference with a dirt car way more than than you can with an asphalt car and i'm sure if you talk to rudiman he he would agree with that and he would tell you well, he may even reveal some of the things that a, a driver can do. I'm not, but uh, he he may would reveal some of the things that a driver can do from inside the car to really help that car. And it's interesting because one of my customers didn't know, and I started explaining it to him, and uh, it it's like a light went off. blew his mind. And it, and it clicked, <laughs> and he's like, okay, okay, and he took off. And he yeah. went on a tear, dude. He, he, he won probably like the next – four out of five races he ran yeah so it was it was it was neat to see and it's always fun to share things you learn along the way and when you see the, you know this better than anybody racing every aspect of it's kind of in trouble a little bit yeah and if guys are going and not having fun they're not going to keep going so there's a lot more options for them to take their money and go do stuff right so i've tried to help people with what I've been fortunate to learn and, and experience over the years. So when they go to the racetrack, they're having fun. And if, you, if you're fast and have a chance, you're having fun. If you're getting run over, running 15th, you're not having fun. So I want these guys to have fun, enjoy themselves, so the sport will survive and, and it'll get passed on to younger generations. Yeah. So that's what I'm trying to do with everything we're doing here, and so far it's it's been fun. It's been it's been a treat, and you know I'm, I've been very fortunate. But the the newest aspect is to offer the the cheaper version to pull down. It you know requires a little more effort on the team's part to bring the car here, um, but they could save money and, and time yeah. by doing that. I got two upper level racing questions for you. Well, maybe I shouldn't say upper level. TV level, <laughs> talking about NASCAR stuff. So you talked about you had a hand in the the, the car tomorrow, and, and or you were around at that time when it was coming about or whatever. Yep. And of course, I absolutely hated the car tomorrow. Nothing against you. Me too. <laughs> but I hated it. I feel like I have an idea of why it came about, and and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong or indifferent. Okay. Twisted sister. I feel like. It came about because the guys at the fab shops, and when I say Twisted Sister, if, if you can't see a picture of it, you, if you Google Twisted Sister, listen to this podcast, you will see how the left side of a cup car was looking and how the right side looks. I mean, Ray Charles could see just, just how insanely modified they were getting with these things. Right. And I feel like that was part of NASCAR being like, all right, we got to do something and step in. Am I, am I, am I right, wrong, or indifferent? <laughs> that's, that's part of it. That, that really is part of it. Um, and this is just my opinion, and it's speculation. A part of it was NASCAR, the attendance had started dwindling, and, and people had started tuning out. 
and just watching other things. And so NASCAR was trying to, you know, the, the Fast and Furious cars have the wing on the back and the splitter across the front and that sort of thing. Yeah. So NASCAR was like, well, you know what, if we, if we attach some of that to these cars, uh, maybe the Fast and Furious crowd will relate to us and, and want to participate. And then they, you know, well, Toyota, come on, Toyota. So, so they were, again, going after a different, uh, I guess you could say, demographic. Okay. And that may have been a mistake, it, it, and it may not have been. I, I don't know. It's not for me to say, but I think that was some of it. But like you said, the, the cars had gotten way out, of control. way out of control because you – you know, into Earnhardt's passing, that yeah. that hurt the sport. And people was like, well, you got to make them safer. And this, I think this was NASCAR's way of trying to make the car safer. And um, there were certain things that were implemented along the way, like the steel plates in the door and the foam in the door. And... Uh, you know the I think the, they made the greenhouse taller and a couple of things like that. The greenhouse taller, wider, the door bars further away, uh, just trying to make it safer. So I, I again I applaud them for the safety part of it and you know just trying to improve the sport. But the car, like you talked about, the car crap, man. The first time we went and tested, the first version they actually cut holes in the right side frame rail and ran the exhaust through the frame rail. I've so, never heard of such a thing. True story. <laughs> no joke. I'm, I'm not exaggerating. Yeah, that no, really happened. True Golly. story. That was the first iteration that we dealt with. So we go to the test, and when you touch the car, it's smoking hot because yeah. the exhaust has run through the frame rail. <laughs> so it was it'd be like touching a header you're like yeah of course i'm not touching that it's piping hot exactly so i was like yeah that's that's not too bright i'm not sure who was in charge of that program but you gotta have a talk with that guy he just wasn't thinking that day but it was neat to see the first iteration and then the second one and this the, the development of it it was fun to participate in that because um like i said they, was, they ran exhaust through the frame rail it's like who does that how you gonna get your lead in and out? What's wrong with you? Yeah, I was about to say. Yeah, so that was pretty. I was kind of like, what in the world? But yeah, but so any, they, they any went other away story, from that. Any other stories like that? I don't. Know. I'm sure they had. To, uh, you you don't have to reveal more than you want to. Yeah, but I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of inside stuff. You probably sitting there like, what are we doing? What yeah. is this? Yeah, is well, this for real? Or are we playing a joke? <laughs> <laughs> well, there was some stuff that I could share that may get me in trouble. Um, yeah. we we. Let's just say that uh, there are people, some people in racing that really should not be in racing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 They, uh, yeah. Some people shouldn't, they don't, they don't belong there. Yeah. Sure. Yes, sir. But it was fun. Like I said, I, I learned a lot. I had a good time and I really got to, see, people asked me, I was like, well, you know, Back in 02, what, what were you, you know, I had people say, what did you do this weekend? I said, well, I got paid to go eat with the king. Yeah. And they were like, what? And I said, well, we get a per diem. I work for the Petties. Richard come by and go, hey, buddy, let's go get something to eat. And he'd pick up the check. So I mm. got paid to go eat with the king. Heck yeah. And, you know, people send their kids off to college and they pay an absorbent amount of money to, to get their kid an education and, um, you know, they spend four years doing it, some five, some eight. just depends on what, uh, which avenue you, you take. But, like, my college was working on a race car and flying all over the country and, and seeing cool things. You know, we got to St. Louis. We got to tour the Arch. And that was pretty cool. We also got to tour the Budweiser plant and, yeah. and see the Clydesdales. Um, out in San Francisco, a fisherman, we went down to the bay, a fisherman was struggling with his fishing boat, so he turned it into a tour guide. So for six bucks a head, you could tour. He'd take you out around Alcatraz and, and give you a, a scenario about the Alcatraz. Wow. Um, just Stuff was, you would never get to do if you'd have just hung around here. Right. So, look, I'm a little dumb butt country boy that got to walk through the tunnel at Daytona and, and crew chief a cup car. So... I'm very, very fortunate, and 
you know, the things I got to experience, uh, the people I got to be around, the friendships that, that I made, um, is priceless. And so those were really cool things to me, and they mean a lot. And if I can share that uh, 25, 30 years experience with a guy that wants to participate, then, and, then I feel like, okay, that's what I should do. Yeah. So this helps me. It's just, just, you know, these are the tools I use to, to do that. And that's what's pretty cool to me. Yeah. It's so, man, I just, I still baffled. I remember when we went with, uh, when I went with you down to Four Boys and we got to, we made those series of videos on YouTube and we were going around everything and I was still just like blown away by so much of it. How much do you think, I, I feel like you're smart enough, you could have probably learned a lot of this stuff anyhow, but how much did it help you having the driving experience you did when it comes to data acquisition stuff? Because it, it seems like a lot of guys, there, there are crew chiefs that are former drivers, like I, like everybody thinks of Rodney Childers with Kevin Harvick and, yep. and on dirt. I'm sure there's plenty of crew chiefs that maybe run a car on the side or, or used to race more or whatnot. Right. But it seems like, at least on at the NASCAR side, there's a lot of just the engineers that come in that that's you know that's all they did how much did it help you having the driving background or did it really help at all it did pay off and the cool thing for me was um when a driver's explaining what he's feeling in the car i can relate i understand i, I was like i i have memories to to reference and i'm like okay i know what he's talking about and i've experienced that and when we experienced that, this is what we did to correct that. So I, you know, it, it, it paid off pretty good for me. And I was very fortunate to work with some really talented drivers and they just opened up my, they just opened up avenues for me to learn things that, that I didn't learn as a driver, but I got to learn through those guys. And, you know, they weren't afraid to try stuff. And what I mean by that is not necessarily on the car, but in the car. They wasn't afraid to try things on the racetrack in the car. And, you know, that's, I tell people, because it's funny, it's flattering, uh, but I, I shy away from it. People are like, man, you're just so smart. I was like, no, dude, I learned from breaking stuff, and I got to break a lot of crap. So it's not that I'm smart. It's just that I got to break a lot of things. Yeah. And um, What's the worst thing? Oh, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> okay, second worst thing. <laughs> you ain't gonna give me the you ain't gonna give me the whole Bible. Just give me a chapter. Well, we, we, we tore up some stuff. Um, there was a sway bar load cell. We destroyed at Milwaukee. That wasn't good. At the mile. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, testing the cup car. Um, at Kentucky, uh, we had wheel force transducers on. And what what in God's name is a Will Force transducer? Yeah. <laughs> you just lost me. Yeah, that's kind of over. That's, that's above everybody's pay grade. But you have four on them. They're wheels with sensors in them. And um, so you have to be very careful with them. A lot of electronics in those things. They're about 250000 a piece. Oh. Yes. Well, we hit the fence, destroyed a couple of them. Yeah, that Ooh, wasn't good. I bet that was a fun uh, yeah, no, that discussion. Was, no, that was not. <laughs> Golly. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was not. Um, just different sensors, uh, trailing arms, just different things. Over the years, you just destroy stuff and you learn like, oh, Lord, that's, that wasn't good. No, that didn't work. Yeah, that was bad. That was very bad. But you, you get out of a box and you get out of the mentality of, well, this is what we've done, so this is what we've got to continue to do. You just get way outside that box and some stuff is garbage. And then some stuff, you hit on something that, that really hauls, hauls in the mail and you're like, okay, well, let's, you know, we've got to protect that. Yeah. But I, like I said, I got to break a lot of things and I got to work with some really smart people and I was open-minded enough to, to try and be a sponge and just absorb everything I could learn from them. And any piece of equipment that I was able to go participate with, whether it be the 
people know it as a KNC rig, but it's kinematics compliance testing. Um, we got to do some CG testing in SAE and uh, SEA in Ohio, and that's where they have a table and you put the car on and it does this number and it, and it you know predicts the the center of gravity for you. And so just any any testing that was going on, I volunteered. I was like, hey dude, I'm in. Put me down. Put me down. Because I wanted to learn. I wanted to understand it. And fortunately for me, they allowed me to, and I got to work with some really smart people. So that was a lot of fun. I was, I'm very fortunate. Yeah. Another yeah. another thing I want to take a shot at. So again, you can correct me if I'm way off base. Just from what I know, I feel like with the asphalt cars, you're working more toward the front end as far as helping to get a feel. Whereas with the dirt, well, especially with the dirt light model or even the dirt modified, it seems like you gotta get the back end right first. Is it kind of is, is it kind of that way, or am I just assuming? No, based it, on my on my things. Nope it you're you're right in a lot of ways. Um, the the asphalt stuff, you know, typically the track bar can get too high and get it back get the back end out of the track. It's a few things, but most of the time you want the front end to do the work to help the car turn because that's the independent suspension part. So you want that to, to turn the car. Uh, there are times when you use the back end to help crutch it because the front end isn't working as good as it should and that's probably because you're overloading something in the front end. And you know, guys don't understand that part. They, they didn't have the advantage of being able to do all the dynamic testing that people at the cup level get to do. Um, the dirt cars, Man, there's so many, you're exactly right, there's so many moving parts in the back of that car, it's amazing that you can figure out anything because how does that work? And Well, there's not any pressure on this spring. Well, what's, what's that doing? There's just so much to do back there. You can get confused and squirrel, squirrel, yeah. squirrel. Yeah, <laughs> But So it, that's, that's, you're pretty much on to it. You know, a lot of it with the asphalt stuff happens in the front end and with the the dirt cars, you know, the back end. But you can't neglect, on the dirt cars, though, you can't neglect the front end because the front geometry does do things. Um, you know, it will help turn in. Um, but once you get turned in, then the back end takes over. Um, but, yes, a lot of the stuff is done with the back of the car. And it's interesting because... If you talk to some guys, old school guys, them old cars hiked up in the deck on rear end. Got, the, got the deck 40 inches yeah, in the air. They ain't running no faster than we did back in 1976, you know, and he's just griping, you know. They ain't running that much faster. And it's mm, like, I feel like they are when I go watch. So, <laughs> well, here's the thing. Some of the, in 1976 is a bad comparison, but... Ten years ago, they're not a ton faster, like as at making speed. But I think where the speed is gained is where it's maintained. Like years ago, they could run the the quick laps, but then the car would fall off, fall off, fall off, fall off. Now it's just like, dude, they can run them quick laps, twenty five, thirty laps into the feature. I mean, they're they're still on it. Yeah. And that's the difference in technology and the equipment because it's you know you you run a 14 10 early on in the race and then the last lap's like a 14 30 you know it's it's crazy how they just maintain the speed yeah and that's the difference and a lot of guys don't understand that it's not that they're going faster it's just they're maintaining the speed that they used to to lose throughout the race something else just came to my mind about a benefit of of, of bringing someone like yourself on to do this kind of work. I see probably more in dirt late model racing, some maybe some in dirt modifieds, and maybe a bit in asphalt late model. So this might just apply across the board. I feel like there are some guys who, they have some semblance of success, they win some, and then someone else comes along, starts taking their lunch money, and you see them make a chassis change or go with a different shock manufacturer, right. things like that. And they, they throw that at it 
in hopes that that will fix their problems. Like uh, I see it, especially in dirt late model racing, there's a guy named Dennis Herb Jr. who is notorious for changing chassis almost <laughs> every year, every two years. And I feel like if someone who is thinking, I gotta buy a whole new race car to, to get this fixed, I, I've done everything I know to do. I've thrown Penske's at it, Bill Steen's, uh, Maxima's, whatever you want on the shocks at it. I can't get that. I need to go put this chassis A over. I need to go buy me a chassis B. What's that guy running? All right, I need one of those. I feel like with your service, that would probably do a good bit to negate going out and buying a whole new race car because you haven't, you've ran out of things to try on it to try to fix it in your own knowledge as far as a racer goes. What do you think? Some of that is so when a guy gets off on his package, like he can have pretty much all of his T's crossed and his I's dotted on his setup and miss two things. And those two things will wreak havoc. And, um, or it could be, you know, that he hasn't changed his ball joints out and, and they're binding up. You know, they've gotten free and playing them and they're binding up and the, and the tires are wandering and, and flopping all around. So it it could be as simple as a maintenance thing or uh, an alignment thing where you just you've missed something in your setup, you wasn't as thorough as you thought you was, and you go to the racetrack and you make changes based on what you're feeling and it doesn't respond like you think it should, and then it's like, well, man, I'm not sure what else to do. Yeah, what do I do now? And, and like, well, that dude's whipping my butt with this, so you know you never really found the problem. I tell guys all the time, they're, you can't imagine how many guys want to cheat and do this and do that. And I'm like, listen, you get a fundamentally sound race car, take it to the racetrack, that thing's going to win seven out of ten races. The cheated up guy's going to beat you three times, but you're going to beat him seven times. Because a fundamentally sound race car is, one, it's been maintained, it's, it's not got bent up stuff on it. And two, the alignment is proper and correct, and the loads are where they're supposed to be. And Lady Luck plays a role in anything you do, so hopefully she smiles on you seven of those ten times. <laughs> but without a fundamentally sound race car, um, you're you're fighting it. And there's, you know, guy, I tell guys all the time, tires are what seven hundred bucks, close to it. They're getting more expensive, but yeah. Uh, your fuel's nine ten bucks a gallon. Uh, the fuel you put in your rig to get to the racetrack to rent the racetracks, what, 150 bucks? Yeah. So by the time you're said and done, and you you can't discount the laps you're putting on the engine. Them rebuilds aren't free. They nope. don't give those away. So you have to correlate that into your spending, and realize when you go test, you're probably spending about two thousand dollars, whether you it comes out of your pocket at that moment or not. You're probably spending about two grand, and you may learn something, and you may not. You may miss something. You may have things bound up. You just didn't see it. You didn't feel it. You didn't catch it. And, you know, you get on this equipment, and it finds it. Yeah. And, and you didn't burn up tires. You didn't waste any fuel. Um, you didn't have to take off work. You didn't have Maybe to rent you did it on Saturday or something. Right. <laughs> well, and that's another thing. Like, if a guy wants to come over here after 6, they're welcome over here. No problem. You know, they just got to book the time and let me know when they want to work. And I'll work it or I'll accommodate them as best I can. But, you know, you, you're not going to put laps on the motor and the engine. So, like I said, you're not going to wear out equipment. And people say, well, you tugging on that car, you're going to bend something. I'm like, dude, it, it, it sees way more load on the racetrack than what I'm doing to yeah. it. <laughs> I ain't bending up. If I bend it, you you built yeah. it poorly. You ain't no bodybuilder. I don't think you don't, you don't have you're not benching 500. I don't think you're ripping anything. That no, and the ain't gonna down, get ripped on the track. Yeah, and the pull down rig ain't, ain't ain't destroying nothing. That's what I'm saying is you know you put more load on it the racetrack than I do with the machine, but um, stuff like that that just you know guys. They, they get a, a thought in their head of, oh, man, you know, that's too expensive. It's too expensive. But they don't understand when they go test, they may spend 2000 bucks per test and not find anything and yeah. not find speed. And when I've never been to the racetrack with a data system and slowed somebody down. 
we've always found speed. The data doesn't lie. The driver, yeah. the driver can't hide from it. You know, he's just you. Kind of sounds like cold trickle and days of thunder. Well, talk, <laughs> talk to your buddy Brad Allen. Yeah. Brad, you know, we did a data test with Brad, and he's like, "Yeah, I, I shoot, driver can't lie now." I was like, "No, bud, you can't." <laughs> so, um, but it's neat because you, you just like I said, I've never slowed anybody down with a data system, and the pull down rig has never not found an issue. You know, I've, I've only had one car that I've put on that the gentleman said, hey, it's set up and it's ready to go to the racetrack. And his alignment was good. His loads were good. His cameras were good. His toe was good. You know, the only thing that I found that I could help him with was his uh, droop chain load cells. They're not his load cell, but his, his droop chain carriage and stuff. And, <clears throat> and he had an outdated, he had an outdated droop chain. And so that was the only thing I could help him with. So that was a that was one out of the as long as I've been doing it. Pretty know. good batting average. Yeah, that'll get you in the Hall of Fame, right yeah. there. Yeah. So most most shops I show up, there's there's issues. Yeah. And it's just uh, guys aren't thorough in their setup and they miss things. You know how it is. Life's life's fast and you get busy. Uh, you're working on the car. You get a phone call. You forget where you were after the, you go back from the call. You, you're done with the call, and you go back to the car. You're like, "Where was I? At? What was I doing?" Yeah. And then, okay, well, I was over here. Well, no, you was over there, and you missed that. But it's easy, and it's and I understand it. I get it because look, I did it. Yeah. I, and I still do it. Yeah. I still do it. I, I'm I've hit my head too hard too many times. <laughs> <laughs> well, before I let you go, I'll get you out on this. Has anybody? Have you come across anybody, and you don't have to name a name, but going doing the pull down where you've gotten like some pushback or some back talk or resistance, and then you've been able to go out there and see what a problem was, and they were like, Keith, I'm so sorry. I ever doubted you. Like, have you have you ever had any of those moments, or are they, or because they're paying you, it's like, no, nah, I'm going to listen because I'm paying you. I want to listen. Well, I. I can say that one of my issues early on when I started was I I want to know what people know that I'm going to work for or work with. And I had to understand real quick, they're not paying me to learn what they know. They're paying me to teach them what I know. So I had to change my thought process because I'm curious and I want to know what you know. And so... I had, to, I had to change that way of thinking very early on. But guys, I've had a few that uh, have, it's been interesting to work with, and they were like, yeah, okay. Yeah, no, you, whatever, All right. whatever you want to do, bud, we'll do that. Sounds like it's hooked yeah. up already. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> uh, I had a guy that, you know, said his car was good, said his car was set up, ready to go. Nothing was problem, you know, just catalog everything. I'm like, okay. So I get there, and we sort through it and struggle with some things. The steer's not where it needs to be and um, ends up the droop chain was limiting the steer. So, you know, I found it. You know, we sort that out and they go to the racetrack. So this is, I guess, a Wednesday night and they're going to race on Saturday. And I said, hey, uh, text me or call me and let me know how things go. And so Saturday comes, crickets. I get nothing. So I reach out, I text them crickets nothing so i call them leave them a voicemail later that afternoon uh i get a text says well uh we qualified second we won our heat race and and this is me reading the text yeah so i guess it's okay so it's easy to read text and mis misinterpret things so the way i read that was well we qualified second and we won our heat race so i guess it's all right so I'm thinking, well, is there only three cars there? Is yeah. that why? Because I'm reading into it that he's disappointed. And <laughs> so I just, uh, well, I don't know what to say to him. So I'm, yeah. I leave him alone. And later that night, I get a picture, and they're in victory lane. We won, man. This thing's awesome. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so it was kind of fun to you know, get I was kind of worried. So it was good to get that picture and, and then the note saying, hey, man, we won. This thing was awesome. Thank you. 
And uh, matter of fact, that customer is a guy. I gave him decals because he, he was he said leave them with us. And he said, yeah, we're getting it rewrapped, and uh, I'm I'm struggling whether to put your decal on there or not because I don't want you know I don't want people knowing our secret. <laughs> I started laughing. I was like, man, that's okay. You don't have to put it on there. <laughs> but I've experienced some of that, and um, you know it's neat to to go to a test and and try some things using the data and say, well, this is how it should respond. And I try to I try to tell people. My experience has been this is how it should respond, but sometimes it doesn't. You know, yeah, some, sometimes some, you learn. Sometimes it's track specific, and and you just it doesn't react the way you think it should, or the, your past experience has shown you. So I've learned that. You know, early on, I would tell people, "Well, this is what it's going to do," and then I would learn, "Yeah, don't don't say that. Gotcha. You you need to say uh, your past experience has been this is what it's done." But it may not do that here yeah. <laughs> today, because <laughs> yeah, it, it it has happened, and I've learned. I was like, oh, oh, well, I learned something today. There you go. <laughs> yeah. As long as you're always learning. Exactly. Yeah. Always. Well, brother, appreciate it as always, and I'm hoping at some point here during this off season we can go make some more videos and stuff because I've I've had a lot of fun doing that. I feel like I've I've learned a lot just in the the couple we've gotten to do, but. Um, well, it's interesting you yeah. say that. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but no, go ahead. Uh, I I want to talk to you about that after we're done. I, I need to make a couple to uh, to do some stuff, and I'd like you to participate. All right. Well, we'll get to work on that. We'll return the favor. Right on. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to yet another edition of the Half Price Concessions Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher. Tune in, Overcast, Himalaya, Castro, whatever podcast app you're using, please hit the subscribe button. If there's a section to leave us a rating and review, please leave us a good one. It would really help us out a ton. Also, if you're listening on our YouTube page, hit the subscribe button there. That way, you'll get notified every time we put out new episodes. Also, you can email the show. The email address is half priced concessions podcast at gmail.com you can email us questions concerns ideas for future episodes anything and everything we'll definitely respond to it and we just appreciate you listening also if you have friends or family who want to listen but don't want to go to youtube and don't have a podcast app you can listen to every episode on our website that's www.anchor.fm slash hpc podcast thank you for listening my name is tyler williams and i hope that you have a great day